Good morning. Today's reading from the Word of God comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, and Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Please follow along in your own Bibles on the screen behind me or listen as I read the scriptures. Once again, that's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, and Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join Kids Rock through the door on your right. Hear the word of the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And from the Gospel of Luke. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I, re I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of, the three, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Allie, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to be worshiping with you this morning. I've spent a lot of the summer downstairs with the kids, which is my favorite place to be, but it's nice to see some smiling adult faces this morning. Um, as we prepare to listen this morning, um, let's take a moment of quiet to set aside any distractions we may have this morning um, so that we can be prepared to listen and hear from the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your good. We thank you for this time together to sit and listen and to reflect upon your word. We ask that you would speak to us during this time, that you would um, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning, um, and that your presence would be with us, and that you would be glorified. Amen. Well, this past week, 
As I was doing my usual morning routine of scrolling through social media and news headlines, I saw an interesting viral video on a topic that I usually would have zero interest in, Little League Baseball. It's no secret that I'm not a sports person. You're not going to find me watching games or highlight reels. But this video caught my attention because it's not really about baseball, but the behavior of the players. To set the scene, it's the Southwest Regional Championship. Game after game of some of the best 12-year-olds in baseball facing off against each other. It's broadcast on ESPN, and all of these games determine which team gets to advance to the Little League World Series. Now, I would never want anyone to watch me play any sport, because I'm awkward and really bad at sports. But even if I was good and loved it, I can't imagine being 12 years old and comprehending just how many people are watching and care about the outcome. That's a lot of pressure. And so this viral video, it's a moment in, from the game between a team from Texas and a team from Oklahoma. <laughs> there you go, Pastor Ethan. Oklahoma's batting, and it's a kid named Isaiah's turn up at bat. Caden, the pitcher from Texas, throws the ball and wham, helmet shot. Isaiah gets hit straight in the head. The force from the hit knocks both the helmet and his baseball hat off his head. Honestly, the video like, made me cringe and like tense up. It was a powerful hit, and it had to have hurt. And so Isaiah's bent over on the ground for a few minutes while his coaches and the medical team check on him. But once he's checked out, they resume the game, and Isaiah walks to first base. And as he's standing on first base, he looks over at the pitcher, and poor Caden from Texas is rattled. He is visibly shaken up, and he's trying to hold it together, but he is crying, and he is holding back sobs. And here's the moment. Isaiah walks over to him on the pitcher's mound. He gives Caden a hug, and he tells him, it's okay. I am okay. I'm going to be okay. It's a touching moment. In a game when we might expect competitive tension to be at its highest, we see a moment of profound sportsmanship and kindness. Now, as much as I love reading the articles and watching the videos in my morning scroll, I'm often more interested in the comment section Scrolling down and reading through the comments from regular people holds all of the same fascination for me as people watching, but without the risk of awkward eye contact. <laughs> That's great. And the comments were really telling. People were writing things like, wow, my faith in humanity is restored. There may be hope yet for the younger generations. And, well, these kids sure don't have a future in politics. The overwhelming message in the comments was this. This is a good thing. We love seeing kindness, compassion, and empathy. But it is so rare to see. And it's true. In our day-to-day -day lives, we see a lot of unkind behavior. We see politicians taking mean digs at one another, people honking and raging at each other in traffic, reports of crime, 
violence, and vulnerable people being taken advantage of. The needs of others, or even ourselves, just being ignored. And it can be really discouraging to look around and see example after example of selfish, angry, or mean behavior. But what if we could be different? What if we saw examples of kindness regularly in our own lives? What if we were regular examples of kindness? If our community was one where kindness is actually very common? What kind of impacts could that have? Well, this morning we're continuing our summer sermon series called Organic Fruit of the Spirit. And each week we're looking at what Galatians calls the fruit of the Spirit. They're the characteristics, the behaviors, the attributes that the Holy Spirit cultivates in our lives as we follow Jesus. So far we've looked at love, joy, peace, and patience. And today, you've guessed it, we're taking a closer look at kindness. A special thank you to James Schilling for illustrating kindness for us today. Yeah, round of applause for James. James chose an apple to represent kindness, so we'll have some apples outside during soul food to snack on. If you see James around during soul food, be sure to thank him for sharing his creativity with us. As we dive into kindness, I invite you to open your Bibles or your Bible apps to the story of the Good Samaritan that Will read for us in Luke chapter 10. If you've been around the church for a while, you're probably pretty familiar with this story. Even if you haven't been around the church, the phrase, the Good Samaritan, is a super common in our culture. So it could be tempting to maybe tune out and think you know it, know it all, you've heard it all before. But I encourage you to keep listening for a fresh word from the Holy Spirit. God is always inviting us to explore some new aspect of who he is and who we are in relationship to him, even through passages and stories that can feel very familiar. So as you're listening this morning, God could share something new with you. Our story starts out with an expert in the law testing Jesus and asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? To which Jesus responds, you're the expert, bud. You tell me what the law says. And the law expert correctly responds, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. This guy nails it. What do you need to do to inherit eternal life? Easy, just what Jesus himself called the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Well done, sir. But you might be thinking, hey, Allie, isn't this sermon supposed to be about kindness? Why are we focused on the commandment to love God and love others? Why does Jesus go into this story about the Good Samaritan, which is all about loving neighbors and who our neighbors are? Those are great questions. Yes, the parable of the Good Samaritan is absolutely about loving our neighbors and who our neighbors are. But it's also a story about kindness. Our understanding of kindness can get kind of muddled in our day-to-day lives. I see it often in the language that we use when we're trying to teach our children what kindness is and how to be kind. It can often come across as the same thing as being nice or some combination of friendly, 
pleasant, and polite. And yes, kindness can and often does include all of those things. I don't think I've ever seen someone manage to be rude and kind at the same time. But kindness is more than nice. Being kind is more than writing thank you notes or making small talk with your barista as you're waiting for your coffee. It's more than smiling back at someone or just being agreeable. Kindness, instead, is about how we love. Kindness is choosing to act in a way that blesses, benefits, or helps someone else. Kindness is an act of love for someone else. So it's with this understanding of kindness that we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. So our religious lawyer gave Jesus the right answer. We inherit eternal life by loving God and loving neighbor. But now he has a follow-up question. The text says to justify himself, he asks, who is my neighbor? Essentially, the lawyer is asking, okay, but who exactly do I have to be kind to? Like he's hoping for a nice, concise checklist, family, friends, and the likable people in my town. Easy peasy. Just tick those off and he can stand before God and get that sweet, eternal life. Because for this law expert, being kind is not about what benefit he can give to his neighbor. Being kind for him is not motivated, motivated by love, compassion, or empathy. It's entirely transactional. If he does this one kind thing, that's one step closer to his reward. His actions are only motivated by what's in it for him. And Jesus answers the man's question, not with a nice, tidy checklist that he was hoping for, but with a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. We're not told about the identity of this poor, beaten man. We don't know who he is. But based on the location of the story, somewhere between Jerusalem and Jericho, and the fact that people listening to the story were Jewish, we're probably supposed to assume that this beaten man is also Jewish. So we have a Jewish man in distress, beaten, naked, and unconscious at the side of the road. Without help, it's not looking good for this guy. The first person to come upon the beaten man is a priest. Surely he would help, he's a priest. That'd be like if you're stranded on the side of the road and you saw Pastor Gene coming by. Like, thank goodness, Pastor Gene's gonna help. He's a pastor, the pastor of community care, no less. It's basically in his job description. And likewise, priests actually had a duty to help fellow Jews. It was required of them. The only problem was that there was no way for this priest to know that the man was a Jew. Back then, they identified different groups of people, the us's from the them's, by what people wore, what language they spoke, and what kind of accent they had. This victim was naked and unconscious. There's just no way to tell. So did the priest really have to help? And not to mention, was he just unconscious or was he dead? Because if he was dead and the priest touched him, well, that would make him ceremonially unclean. If the priest in the story was traveling the long road away from Jerusalem, he was most likely returning home after his two-week rotation of serving in the temple. 
being ceremonially unclean would mean arranging to travel back to Jerusalem for the week-long ceremonial purification process. And until that was arranged and completed, the priest and his household couldn't partake of any of of the priest perks, like eating from the tithes. That all sounds like such a hassle for a guy who might not even be Jewish. So the priest kept going. He did not allow himself to be interruptible or inconvenienced if he wasn't certain he had to help. What are ways that we, like the priest, avoid being interruptible? When in the busyness of your day or in the busyness of your commute, would you be unable to stop because it would just be too much of a hassle. The next person that came along was a Levite. Levites were also religious leaders like priests, but they were a little bit lower in the pecking order. They were like assistants to the priests in the temple. So this Levite was also on his way home from the temple, following behind a priest who he probably was assisting and serving that week. Since the priest had already made the call to pass by the man, the Levite wouldn't need to worry about it. Decision's been made. It would actually be more troublesome to make a different call than the priest and thereby question the priest's judgment. What would people think if he made a different choice? Would they think he's trying to insult the priest by acting like he knew better? How might you justify avoiding kindness? How do you talk yourself out of helping others? Or how do you feel like you can't make a different choice? So the Levite also passed by without helping. Now finally, a Samaritan came along. Now, the man listening to this story would have thought that the Samaritan was the least likely to help. And that's because the religious lawyer was a Jew, and the Samaritan man was, well, a Samaritan. And the Jews and the Samaritans, by this point, had centuries of hostility between them. The Samaritans also descended from Israel, but they came from a group in northern Israel that was captured by the Assyrians many centuries before. And they had intermarried with the Assyrians and they had formed their own similar, yet slightly different, religious identity. They had their own version of the Torah, they had their own temples, and they worshipped the God of the Israelites and the gods of the Assyrians. The Jews thought that the Samaritans were all evil heretics, incapable of doing any good. When the Samaritan walks into the story, everyone listening would have thought, Well, here comes the villain of the story. But surprise, that's not what happens. Here in Jesus' story, it's the Samaritan that sees the man at the side of the road and has pity on him. Now, the way that we tend to use pity in our day and age is a little bit different than the meaning here. When we think of pity, we often think of, like, feeling bad for somebody, but from at a distance. But that's not the case here. Instead, it means compassion which comes from the word spagizomai. The idea of compassion back then was connected to your guts. It literally could be translated as they were moved in their bowels because compassion was supposed to come from a place that was deep inside of you. So the Samaritan man, he saw the beaten man, and he was deeply moved by compassion into action. 
He was not motivated by duty or responsibility. He was not required to help. He was not motivated by a beneficial transaction or his own gain. But he chose to help because he was moved by compassion for the man. So the Samaritan man bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He placed the beaten man on his donkey and took him to an inn to recover. What I find most amazing about this rescue is that by bringing a beaten Jewish man into town to an inn, the Samaritan man was literally risking his own life. If the Jewish people in town saw the Samaritan man, they would not have thought generously about him. They easily could have thought that he himself had beaten the Jewish man and attacked him. Yet even with that danger, the Samaritan man brought the beaten man into town to an inn so he could recover. And he pays the full amount of two days' wages to the innkeeper to care for the man, and he promises to give even more if it's due when he comes back to check on him. After finishing this story, Jesus asks the religious lawyer, so which one was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Which one of these three men loved his neighbor? Which one showed kindness? Of course, the religious lawyer had no reply other than the one who showed mercy on him. The good Samaritan is the one who showed kindness and is an excellent example of what kindness looks like. Motivated by compassion, not self-gain, this good Samaritan acted for the benefit of the man who was beaten, even though it came at a cost to him. That is kindness. Choosing to act in love for someone else's benefit, even if it takes costly generosity on our part. Now, that doesn't mean that kindness has to take huge amounts of money or a daring rescue. I've seen people in our community show kindness by sacrificing some of their time to go out of their way and encourage people. I've regularly seen people in our community show kindness by participating in meal trains and providing a meal to a family that is busy taking care of a newborn, recovering from surgery or grieving a loss. I've seen people in our community show kindness by offering to let someone borrow a car who doesn't have one, or the tool that they need for a project, or a book that might bless them. Kindness does not necessitate grand gestures. So what gets in our way? Why does kindness feel difficult sometimes? Why do we sometimes avoid it or look the other way when we see someone in need? For some of us, we're like the priest in the parable. We simply don't allow ourselves to be interruptible. And this is where I have most often found myself guilty. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen someone in need on the street on my way to go somewhere else and I've been moved in my guts. I've felt that deep tug of compassion to do something, and I've decided that my punctuality to something that probably wasn't important was more important than their hunger or recognizing someone's dignity with conversation. Other times this summer, I've waffled over signing up for a meal train because doing so would require some extra planning to work around the projects happening in our kitchen 
and to make sure that I had a vehicle to drop it off. And those are just some of the times that I've been aware, aware enough to see the needs of the people around me. I wonder how many opportunities for kindness I've missed because I've been too wrapped up in my own stuff. My own to-do list, my own responsibilities, my own worries. Too busy to even notice the needs of others in front of me. Other, others of us may be more like the Levite in the parable. Worried about how our kindness may be received by the one we're helping or perceived by others. Will they feel uncomfortable receiving a word of encouragement or a compliment from me? Will they be embarrassed or offended if I offer to help with a need that I see? Will my peers think I'm wasting my time or my effort by helping this person? There are no limits to the ways that we can doubt how our actions will be perceived and talk ourselves out of showing kindness. So what's the remedy? How do we grow in kindness, especially when we have these mental roadblocks that get in our way? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate the fruit of kindness in our lives? Well, first, we need to start not by identifying ourselves with the Good Samaritan, but by identifying ourselves with the man who was beaten at the side of the road. Christians often want to identify with the good guy in the story. We want to be like the good Samaritan. Of course we do. This passage gets preached a lot, and preachers like me always point out how we can be like the priest and the Levites, and how we should be like the Samaritan. But in order for the story to really sink in, we need to identify ourselves as the man at the side of the road, we need to identify ourselves as recipients of kindness. We need to remember the kindness of God towards us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes that the gospel is evidence of God's kindness to us. That God sent his son Jesus to live, die, and be raised again to life so that we can be reconciled with him. That God sent Jesus to have a victory over sin and death so that we may experience his power making the broken things of our world new. That we may experience new life in which we will never be separated from the love of God. If we are the man at the side of the road, it is Jesus who's the Good Samaritan. It is Jesus who, like the Good Samaritan, was moved by compassion to help us. It is Jesus who risked his life to save us. It is Jesus who saved us at great cost to himself, enduring pain, cruelty, and death. All of this he did for our benefit. All of this he did out of compassion for us. This is God's kindness to us. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was for our benefit. It was a display of profound love. And when we spend time remembering this truth, when we really let it sink down into our roots, it changes us. When we receive the love and compassion of God, it overflows in our lives. And we experience greater love and compassion for others 
that Jesus also lived for. And this is the start of kindness. Love and compassion are the motivators, the precursors to kindness. So what are ways that we can live out the truth of God's kindness towards us? What are ways that we can extend kindness in our own lives? How can we show kindness this week even? Well, maybe you, like the Little League player, can speak a word of truth and assurance to someone feeling rattled. Maybe you have a neighbor going through a busy season and you can take something off their plate, like mowing their lawn or running to the store. Maybe in your commute, you often see people in need of food or money. I know one of our families keeps small blessing bags in their car that are full of snacks. And they hand them out with their children whenever they see someone in need. If you take public transportation, maybe instead you could make it a practice to keep like a Dunkin' Donuts gift card in your wallet to give to someone. Maybe this week you have time to make a meal for someone or the means to order takeout for them. You could sign up for a meal train to help one of our growing families or the grieving family of one of Pastor Angie's students. If a coworker is working on a stressful project, maybe you could offer support, even if it's just moral support or bringing them a coffee. I invite you to think creatively about how you might show kindness to someone this week. There are so many ways that you can extend kindness to others. And that's not to say it's always easy to show kindness. It can be really difficult to live and love that way. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that the fruit of the Spirit can grow within us. It's only by abiding and dwelling in God, by continually reminding ourselves of the truth of God's kindness to us, that empowers us to live kindly. And practically, the way that you practice remembering this truth can be different. It can look like reading God's word or memorizing Paul's summary of the gospel in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Maybe it's practicing telling the gospel story to some friends or your kids or your life group. Or maybe it's setting some time aside in the week to go for a quiet walk and meditate on God's kindness. The second way that we can become good gardens for the Holy Spirit to grow the fruit of kindness in is by listening to the Holy Spirit and developing a reliance on the Holy Spirit. Now this takes time, and over the seasons of your life, you may find that you hear the Holy Spirit work in different ways. One of the ways that I have grown in my recognition of the Spirit's voice in my life is through listening to the stories of others. If you need a topic of conversation for your life group, your date night, around the dinner table, ask your conversation partners how they have heard the Holy Spirit speak in their lives. This is really fun because one, you get to hear some amazing stories, and two, through listening to others' experiences of the Holy Spirit, you might just realize that you have been experiencing the Holy Spirit speak to you, and you just didn't recognize the Spirit's voice. And if you're really not sure what the Spirit's voice sounds like, I encourage you this week to spend some time in prayer and ask the Spirit to speak to you and to help you hear the Spirit's voice. But friends, we should be prepared that when we ask the Spirit to guide us, to lead us, and to speak to us, 
The Spirit will, and we need to be ready to listen. And that means allowing ourselves to be interruptible. It means allowing the Spirit's agenda for our day to come before whatever our own to-do list entails. It also means being willing to trust the Spirit's guidance over the anxieties of our mind. But when we do that, when we listen and respond to the leading of the Spirit in our life, then we will bear the fruit of kindness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your son Jesus, who is the ultimate example of kindness to us. God, we pray that as we sit in that story, sit in the gospel truth of your kindness to us, that you would cause it to overflow in our lives, so that we may grow in extending kindness to others. Lord, this week, I pray that you would show us ways that we can be kind to those around us. We love you, Lord, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.